Well, let me start by again saying a word of welcome to those here in the well and those upstairs in the well cafe. We're delighted that you're here. My name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and especially if you're a first-time guest in either one of those worship venues, we're delighted to, to have you today. At the 9.30 service, uh, I was late getting up to the stage, like the song, there's something going off in this room, I have no idea what it is, but I, I, was, I was late getting up, the song was shorter than I thought I was going to be, so I was kind of scrambling to get my stuff together, and I found this note someone had put on my table that said, do good today, David. So that was really nice, I thought I'd just share that with you. We are in the second week of a series we started last weekend, and just in case you missed that, let me reset the theme for you a little bit. We talked about that as we looked at the spring calendar and this three-week series that we had in the month of May, we started talking about May and what does May usually feel like for us and for many families in our church. And we talked about that May is really a time of transition. The, the springtime is turning into summer. Kids are excited about the end of school. Teachers may be a little bit more excited about the end of school. Parents, I don't know. But we're in a season of transition. We know we're moving into a, a new season of the year. And for some young people in our church, they're excited because they're, they're pretty close to their graduation day. In fact, yesterday I noticed that in my Facebook feed, I was already seeing some pictures of some college graduations. So we had some TCU graduates uh, from our church, uh, one from Auburn. There was another one. I can't remember the name of the school off the top of my head. But, but we're already in that season. Maybe you've received some graduation announcements in the last few weeks. And what we said was, you know, when you're, when you're the person who's graduating, you are surrounded by celebration. Like everyone's excited for you. It's like one of the first times in your life where people just give you money for what seems like no reason at all, right? Like that, wow, that's cool. But, but also for that person who's walking through that season of their life, it is a time where you feel a little bit of fear because graduation naturally invites the question, what's next? Like, what are you going to do now? Especially college graduation. Like, that's why parents are smiling a little bit bigger in those pictures, right? At college, because it's like, okay, we're moving to full-time employment off the payroll. That's the goal, at least. You know, you're moving into what's next. And that's often a season where we're surrounded by excitement, but there's also this sense of fear, a little bit of trepidation of what is the next phase of my life really going to look like? And what we said was that's not a one-time thing. That's not something you go through when you're 18 or when you're 22 or however old you were when you finished that, that, uh, that college degree. It, it, that's not something that we just go through once in our life. It's actually something we go through on a continual basis in our life. And some of those seasons of transition are exciting ones. They are ones that we have anticipated. They're ones that we have worked hard for, like when you finish a degree, when you land that new job, when that marriage begins, when you move into that new home that you've been building, or you, or, or, or you move to that new community. But some things that happen in our life are not things that we anticipate. They're not things that we have even desired, and yet we have to go through that season of transition. The loss, the unexpected loss of a loved one, the, the fracture of a significant relationship, or the unexpected new job that moves you to a new community, a new part of the country, or perhaps a new part of the world. And so what we're doing in this series is we're talking about three questions. 
Three questions that we said in a season of transition, we all need to ask ourselves, regardless of what that transition is, whether it's one that is surrounded by celebration or one that may be filled with some grief and sorrow, three questions we need to ask ourselves to reset ourselves in that season of transition. So if you missed last week, we talked about that transition, the danger of transition is that it's easy to lose direction. In the midst of all the other things that are changing in our life, it's really easy to lose our direction. If you're brand new, you don't know this about our church, you probably don't, but our church is in a season of transition. Uh, in January, Pastor Mike, uh, who had served as a senior pastor here for 20 years, announced to you that he was no longer going to serve in that role. He was going to serve in a different role, and that I was going to begin serving as, as your senior pastor. And so last week, I shared with you the simple statement, the short statement that I shared in the next message following that announcement, that we lose our way when we lose our why. And so as we think about losing direction, losing our way, we say the easiest way for that to happen is we just lose the why of our life. We forget why we are here in the first place. We forget the passion, the energy that we want to drive our life now. We want to drive our life in the future and the things we want people to say of us when we come to the end of our days. And so the first question was, what's your why? What's the reason for your life? What's the driving force of your life? Today we're going to look at the second question, and we're going to look in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a blue Bible uh, in the seat in front of you here in the chapel, and there's also Bibles available upstairs in the loft, page 1600 in those blue Bibles. You'll see that on the screen. I'm going to read you the first 11 verses of this story. And let me just give you a few context clues before we dive in. First in verse 1, Luke is going to refer to a place that you may have never heard before, at least the way he refers to it. He calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. At least that's how I pronounce it. That is actually another name for the Sea of Galilee. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you've probably heard of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually a very large lake in the northern portion of Israel. It empties into the Jordan River, goes down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. So whenever something happens in the Gospel around water, it's at the Sea of Galilee or it's in the Jordan River. So that's where we're talking about. That's where the scene is unfolding. The other thing I want you to know is you're going to hear the name Simon. And you may think, well, who's Simon? I'm not sure I've heard that name before. Why did I miss that? Simon is another name for the disciple Peter. So we talked about Peter last week, one of the most well-known disciples. That's who we're talking about in this story. Luke calls him Simon, but he is also known as Peter. So with that, let me dive in. It says this, One day as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here's the scene. Jesus is on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds have pressed in on him so far that he decides to get in a boat and kind of step back a little bit so that he can address this large audience that has come out to hear him teach. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So evidently, when Jesus finishes his sermon, he's just thinking... Let's go fishing. That sounds like fun. And okay, Peter's a little confused. He says to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. 
But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, referring to this miraculous catch that they have received, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. So in this scene, we have Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Then Jesus said to Simon, in response to his astonishment and the way in which he had bowed before Jesus, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. Now I want to begin uh, by sharing with you a word of confession. I'll tell you up front that this is not something that I feel guilty about, okay? But it's just something that I know in sharing with you, some of you are going to begin to see me differently than you did before, okay? It's just, there's no way to avoid it, but I want to share this confession with you. I love the container store. Absolutely love it. I just, I love the container store. If I have some free time, I may not need anything from the container store, but I love just walking around the container store and seeing what things I might love having in my house. Now, that's a risk in me telling you this. I recognize that it is because for some of you, you recognize, well, all of us really, we recognize there's a certain kind of crazy that likes the container store, right? And for some of you, that's just not you. Like you're thinking in in your head, I don't want to be friends with him anymore because... That's not the kind of person you roll with. That's not how you think. You're not, you're not that kind of crazy. You're not on that team, and you're, you're kind of out. But for others of you here, you are that kind of crazy. You're on my team, and you're thinking, I feel a connection with him. I didn't know existed before, right? And if you are that kind of person, if you are that kind of crazy, here's what I'm going to guess about you. You, in your, in your life, you think everything in your life should have a particular place. And your life makes sense to you. I mean, everything else can be falling apart. Job can be going horrible. Kids are fighting. Everything's bad. But if somehow every item in your, in your life finds itself to its place, you somehow feel better. Like life just feels, it just, it just feels better. You think in categories. And you don't understand why other people don't think in categories. Like you think life should exist in categories. You like your colors to be together because who wouldn't, right? I mean, that's crazy, people don't think that way. And so when it comes to your closet, everything is in a a particular, uh, it's, it's according by color. And while we're on the subject of closets, if you are someone who likes to contain, like if you're that kind of crazy, you have spent more time thinking about your closet than, than other people think about their closets, right? Like, I mean, you're just, you're just wired differently. You think differently because you love the container store and you love that, that sense of order in your life. So let's just take a moment and let's just hear it for the OCD people in the room, can't we? Yeah. You people are crazy, but I am your kind of crazy, so I like you. So about a year ago, there was a new category of my life where I was able to bring my certain level of crazy, and that was Pastor Mike and I were preparing to take a trip overseas to Israel. Now, I had been over AC. I've been to Belize, but that's not the same thing as 
the sea, like going across the Atlantic Ocean. Big, big trip. And if you are a little crazy like me, if you like the container store, you recognize that this is actually, this is fun. Like preparing and planning for a trip, there, that's a ton of fun involved in that. Like there is months of list making that is so fun. Like to think about all the things that you want to bring on that trip, all, all the ways that you're going to pack that. I mean, that's just fun. Other people look at you and they think that's a little weird, but that's exciting for you that you get to prepare and plan for this trip. So knowing that I was taking that trip to Israel in February 2014, and knowing that in 2015, just a few months ago, I was going to go to Rwanda, I made a very critical decision in my life. It was huge. I decided I need a new suitcase. I need a new suitcase. And I actually brought my suitcase to show you today because it's, I'm so proud of it. This is the Eagle Creek ORV Trunk 36, okay? <laughs> this was rated by Outside Magazine as the best travel bag of 2014. Now, some of you think I'm making that up, but I'm not. There are actually awards for travel bags, and this puppy is a winner right here, okay? The ORV Trunk 36 from, from Eagle Creek. And so I am so proud of this bag. I love this bag. I love traveling with this bag. It's now taken two trips. It's been on, a, you know, a, several overseas trips. And it's just been, it's been a great part of my life. I'm so excited about this bag. Let me just tell you a few things about this bag that are really cool. In fact, I'll just tell you one thing because we don't have enough time. But the, 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 the specification that you need to know about this bag is when it's empty, okay, when there's nothing in this bag, this bag weighs 11 pounds and 3 ounces. Some of you have Bibles that weigh more than this bag. <laughs> 11 pounds and 3 ounces. Now, since many of you are not as impressed by that as you should be, let me just unpack that for you a little bit. The fact that it is 11 pounds and 3 ounces means that when I fly internationally and I show up to the terminal and they weigh my bag, if you've not flown internationally, this is one of the deals, they weigh your bag, and if it's over a certain weight limit, what do you have to do? You are that really, really embarrassed person who there at the terminal is taking things out of your bag, trying to figure out what to do with them because you have too much weight. So 11 pounds, 3 ounces means that I can carry 38 pounds and 13 ounces worth of stuff in this bag when I fly internationally. That's pretty cool right there. That is pretty cool, especially for someone like me who loves to make lists and make all these preparations for these trips. But here's what, if you're my kind of crazy, you already know. That no matter how much work and effort you put into this, no matter how much planning that you put into that process, there are still decisions that you have to make about what's going to make it in the bag and what's going to get left behind. Like you still have to go through the mental process of thinking about what is the thing that over the next five days or 10 days or a couple weeks, depending on how long your trip is, what is the thing that I just cannot live without? I can't imagine life without it. It has got to get into this bag. And what, is, what are the things that as you think about, okay, it's going to be five days, it's going to be 10 days, it's going to be a couple weeks, but I'm just going to have to figure out how to let that go. I mean, that's part, of, that's part of going on a trip, is you got to figure out what you're going to bring and what you're going to leave behind. So about six months before 
Pastor Mike shared with you uh, our announcement in January. I had a really good friend who shared with me this book called The First 90 Days. That's a business book. It's about transition. Uh, it's, about, it, it, it's a guide for those who are moving into a new uh, role in a brand new organization or just getting a new job in their current organization. It just walks through all sorts of things you need to think about if you're in a season of transition, particularly as, as it relates to the business world. So I want to read you just one, one uh, quote from this book that I thought was really, really helpful. It says, a common trap is sticking with what you know. You believe that you will be successful in the new role by doing the same things you did in your previous role, only, only more so. You fail to see that success in the new role requires you to stop doing some things and to embrace new competencies. Because you may not get a clean transition in job responsibilities, it is essential to discipline yourself to make the transition mentally. And hear these last two sentences very carefully. You must consciously think about letting go of the old job and embracing the new one. Think hard about the differences between the two and consider how you must now act and think differently. Now let me just share with you an observation, and I want you to hear this very carefully. This is an observation from the perspective of someone who is in transition. Uh, from the perspective of somebody who had the luxury, I did have the luxury of knowing really years in advance that I was going to be going through this transition. Meaning I had the luxury of time to, to prayerfully consider, what's this going to be for my life, Lord? I had the luxury of time to, to seek out some wisdom from some trusted resources to, to hear from their experience and their insight and, and how that might apply to my experience and what I needed to know in this transition. Not everybody gets that opportunity when they, when they enter into a time of transition, but I did. And I'm also someone who is a, a few months through that, and so I've had the opportunity to look back over the last few months and see, okay, well, that went well, and, and, and to see some things to say, well, that didn't go so well, and I didn't adequately prepare for that. And I'm also somebody who is in the midst of transition that's probably going to last for quite some time into the future, months, perhaps years. That's just where I am in my life right now. So you hear that, hear that, that this is an observation from someone who's in the midst of transition, that transitions invite us to embrace a new life and to let go of an old life. That's what a transition does. It invites us to embrace a new life and to let go of an old, of an old life. And here's the critical thing. I don't want you to miss this. If you only do one of those things without doing the other, you will get stuck in that transition. If you only do one of those things without doing the other, you will get stuck in that transition. If you let go of the old life, but you don't embrace the new life, you're stuck. If you embrace the new life, but you don't let go of the old life, you're stuck, you're stalled in, in transition. You must do both if you're going to move all the way through that transition into the new season that is being birthed in your life, the new chapter in your life that is waiting to unfold. You got to embrace the new. You got to let go of the old. You have to make a decision. What is it that I'm going to take in, the, in my suitcase? And what is it that I'm going to leave behind? And if you never 
work yourself through that process. You can't show up at the airport, put it on the scale, and begin the journey. You have to decide what is it that I need to take and what is it that I need to let go. Now, I want you to carefully make a connection here with me with Peter, James, and John, this moment in their life, this encounter with Jesus. I want you to think about the fact that, that for these three men, their entire lives had been about one thing. From their earliest years of their life, their highest aspiration, what they knew they were going to do with their life was all about one thing. They were going to be fishermen. Their fathers were fishermen. Their fathers before them had been fishermen. They lived in the city of Capernaum. If you have been to Capernaum, guess what everyone in Capernaum did during that time? They were all fishermen. It's all they had ever known, all they had ever done in their life. It was the sum total of their experience and the highest aspiration they had had for themselves was to live their lives as fishermen. It's why they responded to Jesus in the way that they did. It's why when after Jesus is finished with his sermon and he says, hey, let's go fishing, Peter says, Jesus, wait a second, we're the professionals. We've been doing this all night. We've done this our whole lives. We know what's going on today. The fish aren't biting today. We're not going to bring in a catch. And it's why when the catch was brought in, when they were literally sinking there in the water from how how many fish were brought in, it's why Peter, James, and John didn't look at Jesus and say, well, it looks like you're a good luck charm. What a great coincidence. This is great. They knew that this was a miracle. Why? Because they were fishermen. It's all they'd ever done. It was everything they had ever known. And in this moment, Jesus invited them to leave everything they had ever known behind. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. What did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? Maybe some of you have the honor of getting to do that today. What would it be like for someone to come along and say, you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to do something new. That's what Jesus said to Peter that day. He said, you're not going to be a fisherman anymore. Everything you've ever known, everything you've ever done in your life, everything that you've aspired to be, the dream that you had for your life that you have now seen fulfilled, I'm going to do something new in you. Now you're going to fish for people. And here's the deal. If you're going to fish for people, you can't fish for fish anymore. You've got to leave the boat. You got to leave the net. You got to leave everything that your father gave you. You got to leave behind this dream you've had for your entire life. And they did. They left it all behind. Everything they had ever known, it was their entire lives, and they willingly left it behind because Jesus invited them to see that there is a life that is waiting to come for you. But in order for you to step into it, in order for you to transition into it, you have to let go of what once was. Transitions invite us to embrace a new life, to let go of an old life. And if you only do one of those things without doing the other, you'll get stuck and stalled. 
in that season of transition. You will either find yourself unable to shed the weight of what once was or unwilling to step into what is new. And the result of either response in your life is that you will unintentionally stall what is waiting to be. Because transitions invite, invite us to do both things, to embrace and to let go. So this week I spent some time just thinking about some transitions in my life that I have walked through. And I share them with you not so that you will think about my life and go, oh, I wonder what that was like for David. But I share them with you because I want to spark your reflection and your thought about your life, the transitions that you have gone through in your life, what you've had to embrace, what you've had to let go, and to think about where you are in your life right now and how God might be calling you to embrace something new and maybe to let go of something that is old. So here's the first thing that I wrote down. I am not a child anymore. Can you relate to that transition in your life? When did you finish that? Have you ever thought about that? Like I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I talked with our sixth graders at our confirmation class, and I told them, you are moving into a phase of life where you are now responsible for your faith. So if that journey began for you when you were 12 years old, when did it finish? When did you get to a point where you said, I am not a child anymore? Was it 18? Was it 22? Was it 37? How long did it take for you to get through that transition in your life? Have you noticed that there are people in your life who have a hard time getting through that transition because they either are not ready to embrace something new or to let go of something that is old? I am not a single man anymore. 14 years ago, I stood before a community of faith and I made a sacred oath, a sacred covenant with my wife. And I want you to hear the question that the pastor asked me that day, a question that I ask couples whenever uh, I perform their, their marriage ceremony. This is uh, in the section called the Declaration of Intention. And so what I tell them is, this is the moment where I'm basically asking you, why did you get dressed up today? Why did you plan this whole thing? Why have you invested so much time in this? Why did you spend time fixing your hair and making sure you smelled okay for this moment? What is it that has brought you to this? And here's the question. Hear this very carefully. To each of them, I ask, will you love them, comfort them, honor and keep them in sickness and in health? In other words, will you embrace these responsibilities? These are now your responsibilities in your life to love, to comfort, to honor, to keep in sickness and in health. And forsaking all others, be faithful to him or her as long as you both shall live. Do you hear the specifics in that language? That marriage is about embracing and letting go. Do you know how many marriages end because people cannot fathom, wrap their heads around that this is both something I am embracing and this is something that I am letting go. And here's what that means. I don't live in the world the same way I did when I was a single man. I don't have the same conversations that I might have had with a member of the opposite sex that I did when I was a single man because I'm not a single man anymore. And the expectations and the responsibilities of my life as defined by the covenant that I made with that bride 
It changed me. I'm different. I'm not the same person that I used to be. I'm also not a newlywed anymore. Guys, do you remember when it was easy to get away with some of those dumb things we did? Because it was, oh, I'm just, I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing. Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, says that one of the hardest things for him to recognize in the first few years of marriage was how selfish he was. Like he thought, of them, he thought of himself as this caring, giving person, but as he began to share life with his wife, he realized, wow, I'm not as caring and giving as I thought I was. I'm more selfish than I thought I was. Can you relate to that? I can. Those early years of marriage, when, when for me, how I would verbalize it, I learned that, David, you're going to have to mature if you're going to love Stephanie the way Jesus does. Because I'm not a newlywed anymore. I'm now a husband for my wife and a father for my children. Parents, do you remember what that transition was like? Do you remember that moment when life all of a sudden changed? And whatever dreams and aspirations you had had for your life up until that moment, somehow you knew it's different now. Because what my life is about is no longer just about me. Or no longer just about us, my, my wife or my husband and I. It's now about these kids. And the most significant thing in my life might not be something that I do. It might be something that this child does. Because the way that I raise and I bless them. Here's two that were particularly hard for me. One, 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 uh, this, the first one I'll say was one that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my life. I am not a youth pastor anymore. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life was to look at my kids in the eye at First Methodist Cleburne and to tell them, I can't be your youth pastor anymore. I bawled that night, like alligator, incredibly embarrassing tears. I was absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that God had called me to do something new. But I was heartbroken by the fact that it meant that I couldn't do what I had done. And I couldn't be who I had been. And those kids that I had cared so much about, that community that I had loved living in, that life that was all I ever needed, that I had to say goodbye to that life in order to step into something new. Here's the last one I wrote down. I am not an associate pastor anymore. I did that for 14 years. I never expected it would be 14 years, but I did it for 14 years. And then all of a sudden, one day, it changed. And Mike told me, he said, David, things are going to change. And I can't tell you what that's going to feel like. I can't tell you what that's going to look like, but it's going to change, and you're going you're gonna to feel it. You're going to feel it. It was something that for Stephanie and I, for my wife and I, it was something that we were excited about. It was the fulfillment for us of a dream to be able to say that this community is not just a place that we're going to be for a while. This is a community that we're going to build a life. This is a church that we want to serve not just for a moment but for a career. This is a place that we want to call home. And there are a lot of things about that that we were given the opportunity to embrace that we were really excited about. But it's meant something different for me. And it's meant that I've had to embrace some things and I've had to let go of some things. And some days I've done that well and some days I have not done that well. Because it's new. It's new. What do you need to embrace? What do you need to let go? Let me just give you a few thoughts. Perhaps someone here today needs to embrace healing. You need to embrace healing and the thing that you need to let go of is regret. Because every time that regret comes back up in your heart and in your mind, it just... It just stalls and stunts that healing process again. Maybe someone needs to 
uh, embrace and to accept that in this new place you are in your life, there are responsibilities and there are expectations of your life. There is a portion of your character that God needs to grow and develop and hear this with grace and love. What you might need to let go of is some childish, immature ways. And say in this new life that I'm moving into, that's no longer okay for me. Because I'm becoming something new. Some of you may need to step into a season of life and to embrace faith. You've been asking God to answer a question for you. And for whatever reason, God has left you with silence. Because he's inviting you to let go of certainty. And to just take that next step. And to trust that the next step after that will be revealed to you. Some of you might need to embrace that you are in a season where you are learning. Which means that you are going to do some things right. And you are going to do some things wrong. Some things are going to go perfect. And some things are not going to go so perfect. You're going to fall over. You're going to skin your knees. But you're going to get back up again. And you're going to let go of your need to always do things perfectly the first time. Some of you are in a season of grief. You've lost someone that you love, a a significant relationship has fractured, and God would just invite you to embrace that and to let go of the desire to have it all together, to have the courage to say to the friend who says, how's it it going, To, to say to them, it's not a good day, that the season of grief that you're in may not last 72 hours, it may not last a week, it may be a couple of months, but God's gonna bring you through it, and it's just about embracing that and saying, it's okay, it's okay, that I don't have it all together. To embrace weakness, to let go of wanting to be strong. And this last one, I want you to hear this very carefully because I'm convinced that there's someone here this weekend that needs to hear this. That what God would invite you to embrace is that it's time to ask for help. It's time to ask for help. And it's time to let go of the pride that would say, I can handle this on my own. It's time to call the friend. It's time to make the appointment. It's time to reach out to that person that you love and to say, I need help. So let me tell you something really specifically. A couple weeks ago, Mike had told me for months, he said, David, as you move into this new role in your life, you're going to feel a weight that I can't express to you, I can't describe for you, but it's heavy. It's just a weight, and you're going to have to be ready for it. And I did my best to get ready for it. But a couple of weeks ago, I realized I'm not doing a very good job of taking care of this weight. And I did something that I did not want to do. I called a friend, and I said, I need to talk because I need some help. And I only share that with you today because, again, I'm convinced there's somebody here who needs to take that step who needs to say, I need some help. And I hope that that simple story will encourage you to be bold, to be courageous, to let go of pride and to maybe say, perhaps for the first time, I think I need some help right now. And to let the people who love you and care for you and want to support you do what they want to do so so badly for you. So what do you need to embrace? And what do you need to let go? Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, I know that this message is, a, is, a, is one where you need to have the last word for your people. And so I simply pray for clarity for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to identify in their life that thing that they need to embrace. And that you would help them, Lord, identify perhaps that thing that they need to let go. For some, Lord, that thing that is new is exciting. It's a, it's a new possibility that you've opened up for them in their life. It's, it's a result, Lord, of you dreaming that they would become something they may have never seen as possible for themselves. And so I pray that you will bless them and lead them. And I know for others, Lord, it may be something they need to let go of that they want to hold on to so badly. But give them courage. Give them courage, Lord to follow the leading of your spirit so that they can step into that brand new chapter of their life where you are going to do amazing things. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.